0: Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast, I'm James, this is Pete. G'day folks. It is the 15th of December, this is episode 198. It is the temperature of the sun here in Melbourne, so my hair is absolutely going crazy. Uh, So apologies to the people who are watching. Uh, Yeah, it could be worse, you could be uh, wearing it. Anyway, we've got a big show for you guys coming up, second last show of the year. We're going to be speaking to Sky News host Paul Murray. Huge guest, what a guy, awesome interview. Such a joy to talk to, uh, and yeah, you guys are going to love it because we love doing it. Um, I, nothing much more I can say than it was just awesome.
1: Yeah, definitely the highlight of the show this week for me is speaking to the great man Paul Murray. We've been uh, sort of talking about getting him on for months, but he finally uh, was able to do it, and it was terrific. Board so sure of
0: it was tough. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, but it was yeah, great. Yeah. So make sure you tune in for that. Uh, Cool. So, yeah, I'm in the studio with him. Uh, Pete zooms in. Great interview. So, a lot of fun. Uh, we also got a bunch of other news stories that we should talk about this week. And I guess the biggest one from a national perspective is... Vaccine rollout. So last week we discussed how the vaccine was starting to come out in the UK and William Shakespeare was like one of the first people to get it, sick of uh, preferential celebrity treatment, but it's also being rolled out in the US as well uh, this morning. So, and this comes across because uh, at the same time, the Australian vaccine, I guess you'd call it, like the University of Queensland one, that's been pulled because of the false positive HIV tests that were are getting uh, signalled in the people that received the vaccine. So... Here's the thing. So the vaccine's been rolling out in the UK, in the US, a few other countries as well, but Australia's not adjusting its timetable at all to start uh, injecting its own citizens with the vaccine. They're still saying we need to wait till March because of regulations, which is concerning. Pete, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, exactly right. Those countries, so the US and the UK, have provisions in their legislation regarding this stuff to have uh, emergency rollout of... Um, Of medicines and vaccines and stuff in an emergency which they're able to utilize Australia doesn't have that within their legislation which means that yeah as you say we're not going to get it for a few more months or a couple more months really and that is really I mean we sort of talk about a lot on this show about how reducing regulation is not just important in business and stuff like that it's actually really important in health and COVID has shown that and the ability to produce vaccines quickly would be better if it was easier and cheaper to make drugs both here and overseas in the us i think it costs takes 10 years and 500 million dollars to get a vaccine approved in normal um in normal circumstances which is which is you know i understand there needs to be safety concerns and things like that but that is just a really huge barrier to getting medicines made quickly
0: yeah i'd rather like i'd obviously rather the vaccine Like, this one right now, go to countries that are, you know, poorer and dealing with more coronavirus cases, um, you know, please clap uh, for that brave and uh, pointed (laughs) view that I have. But the thing, like, if if the excuse is we need to wait for more regulations, we're going to wait to approve it in mid-January, like, what exactly are we going to know in mid-January that we don't know already? Like, there's not many long-term effects that are going to come to the foreground, so what is in that month of just, you know, oh, we're waiting and seeing. uh, To quote the therapeutic goods agencies, uh, um, sorry, the the head of the therapeutic goods agency is Australia, he said, well, I wouldn't want to use the word guinea pigs with the UK. So we're just waiting to see what these guinea pigs do and then a month from now we're going to figure out that it's safe. Like, I, I don't get that timetable.
1: I'm sure the UK government also don't want to use their people as guinea pigs, so um, yeah, as you say, there's no if it's if it's safe for people in the US and the UK, you know th- those governments would absolutely be making sure that there's uh, you know it's a safe thing like that. so no, it's just it's just a thing in our legislation which doesn't give us that flexibility. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it means it's just a longer, slower process for us.
0: But at the same time, it's just good to see the vaccine getting rolled out, which is fun. I like watching the videos of people like, "Oh, you got vaccinated." Um, you're still, you still, you still think it's a, a chip device, don't you?
1: <laughs> that, uh, no, James, I do not think it's a chip device. And um, just in case anyone thought that James was being serious, then he was joking. All right, um,
0: interesting. Uh, all right, we'll move yeah, on over my to my denial was too strenuous. We'll <laughs> to another story. All right, so. This War of Words over the Four Corners documentary from a while ago is still going on. So A couple of weeks ago, we had Communications Minister Paul Fletcher uh, write an open letter to Ida and the ABC board saying, can you please explain the decision to air it? Uh, Ida Buttrose this week, which is why it's back in the news, has come back with a counter letter contesting the claim saying that this... Yeah, I think it was like in an early draft, she said this is basically political interference. So I don't know. The the point is, we're still talking about the Four Corners episode from over a month ago. And the only reason we're doing that is because the ABC is funded by the federal government. And this is why it's a thing because literally any other organization, like Seven News does it, Nine News does it, anyone else does it. It's just a flash in the pan of, oh, what happened on those nights? What's the nature of their relationships? And then in two weeks later, we'll all move on to everyone else. But because it's about government funding, it's going to drag out for months and months and months. And I've stopped caring about this story, but we need to still care about this story because it's in the news. Here's the thing. If the ABC staff want to air Four Corners documentaries talking about these issues and having a go at the government and they don't want to think for a second about changes to their funding... Then welcome to privatisation. I know it's a point I've raised on the show a few times before, still bears repeating. No, you're exactly
1: right. And I know you were quite firm at the time about the extent to which you thought that uh, politicians' private lives were part of the public interest. But um, it is a murky area. Like some people, you know, they say this is in the public interest and this is our, you know, independence at play here. And some people are like, yeah, how, how politicians behave in their private life is a really big issue for me. For me personally, I actually don't, couldn't care less. I think history shows that politicians can be horrendous in their private life and be effective leaders. Not that that's necessarily what's happening here. I'm just saying in general. Uh, but it's what the point I'm trying to make is it's a murky issue. Uh, it's impossible for the ABC to ever be fully objective and um, you know fully balanced and fully independent because that's just not how humans are. The humans, any media organisation is a little bit biased, but because the ABC is getting government funding, it means they're not meant to be. And... Yeah, I guess the two points—the two points that I'd make. Oh, I should actually mention here: um, IPA polling for the start of the year found that only 32% of Australians think that the ABC reflects the values of ordinary Australians, and I think that's true. It so the two things I'd like to say really is that it's difficult for them to be more balanced. And this is an aspect of this we don't normally talk about. Is because they'd actually lose their market. Like the people that watch the ABC are pretty left wing, and if they hired more conservative people and gave more conservative voices, they would actually lose some of that market. So it's almost like market forces that are that are making it difficult for them. Um, and uh, the other thing is that we, we mentioned last time, James, when we spoke about this, is it actually be good for the ABC if they privatized? People don't realize that it would actually make them. They'd be able to be fully unfettered and really say what they want about how good Dan Andrews is and unconscious bias and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, because they're holding themselves back now, which is a shame to see, but they could be more free. Uh, So third story we should talk about. So here in Victoria, uh, they have cancelled the Australia Day Parade. So this is a pretty key part of festivities. Now... This is very strange because at the same time, they're allowing 30,000 people to go to the Boxing Day test. And to me, the Australia Day Parade is slightly more of an outdoors event than the Boxing Day test. I know, like, the MCG's open roof, but there are such things as, like, getting in and out, which is indoors, or getting a drink or getting food, which is indoors. So, very bizarre decision. You've also got the Black Lives Matter protest earlier this year. Very uh, obvious... Uh, You know, uh, analogy there as to what can be going ahead and what can't be. Uh, And it's very hard to not see this as just the same sort of what happens every year of all these different councils saying we're not going to celebrate Australia Day because we think of it as Invasion Day. It does seem to be that this is now at a state level too, Pete.
1: Yeah, uh, it's sort of one of those, it's just like everything else. Like I think Victorians have fallen into this thing of like, oh, we're open, how good is this? And it is heaps better than it was, but there's still massive restrictions on what we can do. And even that 30,000 figure that you said about uh, Boxing Day, in New South Wales, they can fill the SCG with 48,000 people in a much smaller stadium. Um, so once again, New South Wales is ahead of Victoria in terms of what they're allowed to do, despite the fact that you know there's basically um, no cases, there's certainly no community transmission of cases at the moment, fingers crossed. So it, it is another one of those. Um so I'll be the poll boy again, James. And an IPA Commission poll earlier this year found that 71% of Australians support celebrating Australia Day on Jan 26, while 68% say political quickness has gone too far. So important to note that. But yeah, um, this this is sort of all part of this thing that our, our restrictions are lifting slower. So you're saying you reckon this is part of just an attempt to sort of um, derail Australia Day in general. Is that your sort of view on this?
0: I just don't see how you can let 30,000 people go to a Boxing Day test, and there are some other stories that might be about to break soon, which I can't go into, but there are other stories about to break soon about stuff that is going ahead where it just becomes very hard to believe that this isn't at least somewhat politically motivated against Australia Day.
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, it would be the first time ever that the Andrews government has made a decision based on politics rather than on health and safety. So that would be an extraordinary turn of events. And you did, did mention the councils, James, we'd all see council in Melbourne's northern suburbs uh, scrap their recognition of Australia Day, citing distress to the Indigenous community. A um, couple of things about that. It's like, firstly, you are an agent of the crown. Like if you if you think this is Invasion Day and you think that it's, uh, it's distressful, then like Quit your job as an agent of the crown would be my advice. And secondly, I don't... There's always Indigenous activists that come out around now and say, no, no, I like Australia. I think, you know, it's part of my identity to be Australian and Indigenous. Why do those people not get listened to? Like when you say, oh, distress the Indigenous community, it's like, well, what about the distress to the Indigenous community who don't agree with you? Um, would be my question. Because it's just people. against the
0: narrative, Pete. Yeah, well, it's this icky. is what I mean. It, it, there's it, a lot it's of, icky when they say that.
1: Yeah, it's... <laughs> I only, I only listen to Indigenous people that agree with me is what is, seems to be the viewpoint. But yeah, no, crazy stuff. And I think, as you've mentioned, keep your eyes peeled for a bit more on this story.
0: Yeah, it'd be funny if uh, they cancelled that and people are just looking for a story that we think is going to break and it doesn't come up. But uh, at the moment, go in my head and tell me this story isn't interesting. So, we'll move on to Heroes and Villains. Uh, Grunt the Big Freedom Snort, these are people that have stood up for freedom and justice around the world this week and just good things in general. Pete, who is your Hero of the Week? Alright, yes, my hero James is
1: Melbourne Stars player Ben Dunk, who plays in the BBL, which is Australia's T20 Cricket League. He did not take a knee before the BBL match in Canberra on Friday, despite all his teammates and opposing players doing so. Actually, sorry, I should mention there the original report said that none of his teammates did, but actually a couple of his teammates apparently also didn't take part in the process. Um... That the stars, to their credit, which is his team, gave their players the option of kneeling before the game or taking their head off and standing, recognising the right of other players to protest. Oh, I think this is a good move. I think, obviously, racism and police brutality are issues that we should talk about and issues that we should address, and they're really, really important, and I don't sort of judge other people for wanting to uh, change those things. But this movement, Black Lives Matters, has morphed into something much more than that and something... That I can't support things like cancelling books and cancelling the name of buildings and ripping down statues and uh, getting people to participate in all this unconscious bias training, which I'm very skeptical of, and you know getting everyone to sort of admit that they're a guardian of racial oppression and things like that. I think it's morphed into something that that is not um, what the original intention of it was. I think that Black Lives Matter's uh, does have uh, sort of Marxist ideas about capitalism in terms of capitalism being very exploitative and liberalism being, um, what would be the word, a weapon of white supremacy. They even had this thing against the nuclear family, which was on their website until a few months ago, which they've now taken down. Anyway, so so I'm sceptical of of taking a knee, despite thinking there are some very serious issues. And, you know, it's just like, it's just tough on a sports person who just wants to play sport and make money and and have their life to sort of go, you know what, I'm not going to go along with this, even though it'd be a lot easier to do so so
0: Ben Dunk as well as the club for giving him that option the Melbourne Stars uh, you and my hero this week very good uh, my one's a bit of a feel-good story coming into the Christmas season so Saddam Buddha Salamu is a Uyghur Muslim who's living here in Australia who hasn't seen his wife for three years and had never met his son until this week when they were all reunited as the mother and son were able to get to Australia after you know, three years of battling the Chinese government to free them, Chinese government saying that they didn't want to be uh, freed. So just literally credit to everyone in this story. Just seeing the photos made me so happy. Uh, and, you know, you're thinking about DFAT, uh, Michael Bradley and, and, and Marky Lawyers. Uh, it is just awesome to see that uh, there is still some good that's coming out <laughs> of the world right now. Sorry, sick story. Oh, by the Absolutely. way... Um, In the crowded field of tweets that, like, you know, because Donald Trump could sneeze and Twitter would fact check it. Got one here from the Chinese embassy in the US. They tweeted out, in Xinjiang, all citizens enjoy the same rights. It is a completely independent choice of each citizen to believe in or not believe in any religion. Not fact check, that one. Not sources claim this is disputed. I can think of at least one source and his name is Saddam Abu Salamu. Uh, but anyway, Twitter, keep doing what you're doing because maybe just one day you might get to operate in China and make money. So that's what this all is about in the in the end, isn't it?
1: Good one, James. Yeah, no, that was awesome seeing though, that family reunited. You know, we've spoken to Uyghur Muslims on this show and talked about that issue a lot, and it's really tragic. So when something like that happens, you know, you've got to sort of say, isn't that fantastic? So good one. All right. Now, the Extinction Rebellion fake nudie run Villain of the Week, Roller Tape, musky
0: As Extinction
1: Rebellion protests enter their sixth day. Okay, that's the fake nudie run that the Extinction Rebellion had. James, who is your Villain of the Week, mate?
0: Uh, so, put this one in the file of things that literally every single person saw coming, sorry... Because of uh, stage four this year, Victorians were given a travel voucher to travel to regional Victoria to support some local industries that have really suffered. Uh, They were going to allocate 40,000 vouchers, and apparently the government weren't prepared to think that that might be popular, because the website immediately crashed once the vouchers became available, and a lot of people were logging on and going, hang on, where are my vouchers? So... Uh, it's just one of those ones of can you literally trust the Victorian government with anything? Because government policy failure has led to uh, all of us being locked in our homes for 112 days and 800 deaths, and they just go, you know what, let's make it up to them, let's do a regional voucher. That fails too. No,
1: you're exactly right, James. It's like the time where they thought a cyber... This is the federal government thought a cyber attack was happening, but it wasn't. Okay, Oh, I just accidentally... That was, I the, my...
0: that was one of the silliest days in politics history. of just like, oh, yeah, it's not.
1: <laughs> yeah, about that. Uh, okay, so I've got back into my Word document so I can continue to talk into this microphone. I was for covering you for
0: you to n- not have to address the fact that you lost your place, but uh, <laughs> no, credit to you for full transparency that you don't know how to use technology.
1: People like to see how the sausage is made, James. So um, there you have it. No, well, my villain is the UN for axing ScoMo from the climate change conference. Now, obviously, no one in the whole world cares about this, but some people do. And uh, so my first thing is, I don't care, but also I'd point out that the UN absolutely trolls, absolutely trolls the world with its appointments to various bodies and stuff, which we've talked about a lot on this show, James. At the moment, the Saudi Arabia is on the Women's Rights Council. Uh, a couple of months ago, they elected China to the Human Rights Council. So I don't think we should be too concerned that the UN has axed us from the climate change uh, conference. And um, so yeah, no, basically that's my villain, the UN, and to a lesser extent Boris Johnson, because Boris Johnson did promise Skomo that he'd be on the list, and he wasn't. So to so a, a lighter villain, Boris Johnson, but mainly the UN.
0: So, wait. The UN's your villain because they didn't let Skomo speak. It's something you don't want him speaking at. Yeah.
1: Well, it's but very I wanted to please I... you, Pete.
0: It's very tough oh. to please you. Your high standards—they get in the way.
1: I wanted him to be asked And then for him to say No, I've got more important things to do That's my Oh, opinion. there we go
0: Right, okay there, that, that's, that's what that was You reckon a politician's going to gonna turn down A plum speaking job like that? <laughs> don't know, yeah Who knows But, uh, All right. yeah That is it for the start of the show We'll now go to our interview with Paul Murray Okay, we now welcome on someone that I have been wanting to talk to for a very long time. One of Australia's greatest living ever broadcasters, I'll say. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say it. That's very nice. Try,
2: try and push back. Uh, Paul Murray, host of Paul Murray Live on Sky News. So, Paul, welcome. Hello, lads. Hello. Um, I sort of feel it's funny. It doesn't matter how old you guys are going to be. Uh, you're going to be like the chaser boys, forever yeah, yeah. referred to as G'day, boys. How are you, boys? Oh, yeah.
0: I'll be 87 years old and still trying to push it that I'm one of the young people out there. Yeah, so. this will become the young-ish IPA <laughs> <Yeah>. podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, brilliant. So we've got a whole lot we want to talk to you about. We've got, you know, basically just looking back at whatever the hell the 2020 was, stuff for 2021. But I was watching your show last night and you and I are on the same path Mark McGowan not going to the National Cabinet meeting because he has health advice telling him that he can't be in the same rooms as South Australian Premier. Now, I'm usually okay with health advice telling you to avoid politicians, but this one hit you different.
2: (laughs) It just hit me like, I'm not going because he's got girls jerks. Like, it was the weirdest. I mean, this guy is going... He will have a massive election win next year, right? He'll win every seat in the lower house, every seat in the upper house, and if they can invent a third chamber, he'll win that as well, okay? So that's not in question. But the way that Palaszczuk won in Queensland, the way that um, they won in the Northern Territory and the way he's going to win, it is the he doesn't need to cut his nails because he's just scraping the bottom of the barrel all day, every day. And the fact that this isn't laughed out of the room. I mean, we're going to laugh at it, but the fact that he'll probably defend it and double down on it today, but it's really a metaphor for how dysfunctional the federation has become in 2020. That you know, one of the absolute stables, one of the one of the the upsides of the job of being premier is being able to go to Canberra and sit with all the other premiers and have dinner at the lodge, and then to be able to uh, throw things around at Coag. But now because the premiers have now been empowered to effectively become, you know, the board of directors and the prime minister has been um, converted into the, the CEO role, it's an option whether you go? And the idea that, you know, that that, that that Stephen Marshall has got COVID because somebody in his state has COVID? Like I can't swear, but <laughs> imagine I am.
0: Uh, yeah, I... You know, you say CEO. I see it as more of like a substitute teacher, like someone that kind of has control of the room, but not really when it comes down to it.
2: Well, and and this is the thing, and it's not it's not through a fault of his management. It's it's the constitution in full show, mm-hmm. and the fact that that they haven't contested um, the lines of control, the fact that they pulled out of the Western Australian uh, High Court challenge, the fact that they haven't tried things on the quarantine powers, all of that stuff. Um, A judgment clearly has been made that, and it's probably the right political judgment, as frustrating as it is for, you know, those of us that, you know, are into freedom, um, is that the populations are more than happy with how this has all gone down. I hate that Australia has become multiple nations with a shared bank account as opposed to um, a federation. Um, As I pointed out on telly, McGowan's selling this line to the people of Western Australia that uh, it's all exports and the mining industry that's the reason we're in surplus. The number one source of revenue for the WA government is Commonwealth grants. So the only way he got to his surplus was based off what the rest of the country was giving him and, you know, what's really sent me nuts uh, this year is the concept that everyone still expected their Medicare card to work but didn't quite understand that that is something given to all Australians and when Palaszczuk came out and said that garbage about, you know, our hospitals are for our people and there were real-life consequences to that. Like the lady who lost a baby because she assumed the system was so inflexible that she wouldn't be able to cross the state border and she had to wait six hours and... You know, the way that the left say that uh, Trump is post-truth, coronavirus is post-logic and, you know, the complicity of the public has been frustrating, uh, but also the the naked way that these state leaders have, have played the game where we don't need QR coding, uh, we don't need contact tracing, we don't need to just get on top of a 20-person outbreak. Instead, shut the borders and because something's going on on the other side of the line, we justify you not being able to see your, uh, your kids for Christmas. And again, that idea that when politics becomes, when, when this issue becomes so personal that your kids can't come and see you or you can't see them for a wedding or they can't come to your funeral and you're okay with that is ridiculous.
1: So, Paul, you sort of touched on it a bit there, uh, the fact that the reason the premiers are carrying on like pork chops, to to put it frankly, is because it is popular with their populations. How do you think that happened? How do you think that they were able to convince uh, the people in their state to to support this kind of thing? Is that just fear? Is that just not being able to understand, you know, a pandemic and the statistics behind a pandemic? Um, How do you read that?
2: One of the fundamental miscalculations I made this year about where where people – Would draw the line, what they would accept, what they wouldn't. Is there was a certain section of the population who thought, how good's Queensland without the tourists? Um, How good's the Sunshine Coast without the tourists? Uh, Let alone the concerns of sort of over 65. And we saw that particularly in places like the Sunshine Coast and how that moved around. Um, but you guys talked about it uh, recently, which is if you were told up front this is going to go for 100 days, your protests would have been in the second week, not the penultimate week before the restrictions were lifted. But And I don't think this stuff was particularly conscious, but it was just frog in the pot stuff. Um, and also I think the way that we uh, in the Western world now don't really have to give much up... Um, literally a war can be being fought on the other side of the world but there's no conscription there's no bread lines there's no there's you don't have to give anything up it's just happening somewhere else um well if your job was in danger there was a welfare system that meant you were going to be okay and if your job wasn't in danger there were either less people in and around where you went to work or you didn't have to go to work and leaders were very clever eventually trying to work out that you know what started as we're all in this together let's share the sacrifice became you're the new Anzacs because good on you for staying home and watching telly for uh, for a few months and people unsurprisingly who didn't have to give up much who yes had inconvenience and obviously Victoria's a different question but they all get they all basically get the advantages of where they live with no downside and slowly but surely they turn around and And think that that's because, um, you know, government keeps them safe. But I think also one of the reasons why they were able to get away with what they've got away with, how they've got away with it, um, is a very complicit, overly excited clickbait culture on the internet where, you know, it just was, you know, the the blob is coming for you and 6pm news, commercial news, that was so hysterical about it that in Queensland on Channel 9, the promo they ran across an entire weekend to make you watch the Monday news was coronavirus bunkers and the coronavirus bunkers avoiding a second wave. And this this concept of um, uh, trust us with whatever we suggest because it will avoid a second wave, completely specious reasoning at times, perfect mix. People loved
0: it. Yeah, I- like, I, I know we asked this to Gideon two days ago. Sorry for listeners out there that are thinking, like, have some new content. Sorry. But, like, I, I do want to get your perspective on this because Australians have always seen themselves as, oh, we're, the, we're descendants of Ned Kelly. Like, we're the Bush rangers, We're the larrikins. We're the people that came out on convict boats. We don't respect authority. But South Australia locks down, uh, you know, and people are banned from exercising on the back of one light of a contact tracer mm-hmm. and no one's laughed out of their job. Like, I, I just think like what happens to the Australian culture that we're just sort of like better
2: safe than sorry? Absolutely. But you also see that, again, the Victorian scenario, right? If I told you in January this year a public policy failure would result in 800 people dying and millions of people not allowed to leave their home unless it was for four prescribed reasons or the rest of it, you'd go, okay, so tell me which uh, Latin American country is this happening sure. in? yeah. Yet the opinion poll of the leaders responsible for those failures should be 1%, and that's the margin of error. But instead, they go up. It is genuinely mind-boggling to me, but we can't sit here um and listening where you are right now and go, well, everyone else is the problem. No, no, we need to understand that's where everyone else is. That is the reality of our country now, Um, and it's been edging that way for a long time where, you know, uh, in in our lifetimes, the federal budget went from a national economic document to what's in it for you. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you personalise government to that level all the time and the media dumb it down to that level all the time, then as long as the government's turning around saying, we're making these decisions so you're okay, we're making these decisions so your nana's not going to get crook, surprisingly, people end up being compliant.
1: That's a really good point, Paul. I think um, one of the things that we have to think about is a lot of people think this way and this safetyism that you sort of touched on a little bit there is creeping in. So what is the, what is the response? How can people deal with that? How can we we fix that so that people don't sort of uh, the first border call is that safetyism that we, we're talking about?
2: Well, I hope that when we all have the chance to sit down at the Relo bashes to come in the next little while, bring this subject up and listen to their arguments and then start to question their motivations. And I think that once people um, are confronted about how far they have turned in the past 12 months, I think we might be surprised about how resistant the population might be the next time around. Um, that's my bet. That's the optimist's version. But um, the problem is, is that we've got government in Australia that has, you know, told us from when you are a kid, you've got to wear your bike helmet all the way through to you've got to have this safety standard, this, this and this. So we're just so used to now yeah. the concept.
0: Don't smoke, don't drink too much. Don't- Correct. And yeah.
2: that's why, by the way, I am drinking a lot of water because I <laughs> smoke a lot and I did just before, uh, <laughs> before the show, so...
0: Uh, All right, I want to switch tracks. So big story in Australia for like the last month or so would be China's tariffs on Australia, this escalating war of words. Uh, How much worse do you see this getting? Because there are so many industries that are now going to, uh, you know, they've just got out of coronavirus Mm. and now they've lost their biggest international customer. I mean, how much worse do you reckon this is going to get or
2: will there be a cooling off of tension? Whatever you can imagine... It getting worse is what will happen economically, right? Now, obviously, nothing else is going to happen economically for two obvious reasons. Uh, China wants to show us as the example of what happens when you displease it. And by displeasing it, you hold it to the same standards as the rest of the world. That's it right? Nobody's suggesting that, uh, you know, a member of the AFP is going to go to Beijing and put, you know, Xi in handcuffs for, you know, crimes against uh, uh, your immune system. But we just wanted to know how did this get out of control? And because we embarrassed them because they let it get out of control, they are punishing us as if we are saying it's a bioweapon and all this. I think. One of the – and I think the way China will play this between now and the next election is going to be firstly, you know, our issues are with Australia and then it's going to become about Australian leadership and then it is going to be personalised to Morrison, where they're going to try to raise the noise so loud going into the next election that the problem is Morrison. The problem is Morrison's way he handled it, not the way Australia handled it. And that is going to be in part their ultimate strategy – for how to remove Morrison as prime minister, and if they can remove Morrison as prime minister, then as, you know, my mate each way elbow, uh, will often, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll manage the relationship, which is code for shut up. Um, and, you know, I'm just looking at the things that might move sections of voters is, as we saw in the United States, if you can make the noise about the leader so deafening that the opposition simply say, we'll turn off the noise. Vote for us because the noise goes away.
0: Yeah. Our candidate is literally in a basement. That is how little noise we're making right
2: now. Yeah. Then people will, they'll choose that eventually. And the nature of our uh, media culture, the nature of social media, the nature of podcasts, all the rest of it, right, is that every year there's more talk about politicians, more noise about politicians. So it feels like You know, there's like 10 years' worth of fame and exposure that gets shoved into six months. And in the same way that we sort of roll our eyes with an overexposed pop star, we start to feel that about politicians. So I call that play now so you can see it coming and you should resist it, which is when they try to personalise it, that is about removing him from office, not about resetting our relationship. Paul,
1: we sort of touched on a little bit, we were disappointed before about uh, Australia's propensity to sort of be... um I guess, appealed to by safetyism. I guess one of the things we should be positive about is I would say, and this is just based on my feeling, most people are kind of supportive of the government's principled stand against China, even though it might be costing us economically. Is that something you've
2: seen as well? I think that this is how Morrison wins the next election. I think that Australians um, absolutely understand that China is not a normal country. They absolutely understand that we have not... Earned what we are getting and we don't deserve what we are getting. So I think that the public will absolutely richly reward the government for this position. They will see how the Labor Party uh, play both sides of it and a bit grey around the edges. So I think it will absolutely backfire on, on China, but we can't pretend that there's not 1.2 1.2 million people in Australia of Chinese descent who a very significant portion, are part of their news diet is uh, Chinese language newspapers for the older population or WeChat for the younger population. And because all of that comes back through China, I don't know what effect that is on that 1.2 million. Million people, and when you think about the concentrations of Chinese populations in the seat of Chisholm in Melbourne or the seat of uh, Benelong in Sydney, they've only got a two-seat majority. So whether that's going to move a couple of seats, plus on top of that, you've got you know uh, the ghost uh, in Malcolm Turnbull out there uh, openly getting ready for a Zali play on a couple of liberals who they sort of want to pick off. Again, the the. The threat's not the Labor Party to the coalition government at the next election. It's going to be these, you know, little local insurgencies and the the many different fronts that mean you end up uh, having to fight on lots of fronts. And, you know, looking back at the, the 2019 election, um, the Liberal Party probably would have ended up with a couple of seats more if they didn't have to uh, defend Warringah the way that they did, if they didn't have to fight against the the, the Independence Party that was running in 17 different places. So what you're going to see here is from the left increasingly, um, they're going to eventually want to fall into, because they're desperate to find the reason to uh, uh, want to reject Morrison as, as leader and... Um, you're going to see the left coalescing around either climate inaction or you're going to see um, we need to – much of the business community who have been appalling in support of a government that wanted to cut their company tax rates, um, eventually sort of uh, by voicing a want to normalise the relationship, that's going to help legitimise what China's going to be trying to do in the next little while.
0: So to recap – there is a chance that next election I get to see Malcolm Turnbull get embarrassed again.
2: 100%.
0: He's still my beating heart.
2: We will all be in the front row. <laughs> this bloke's political radar, I mean, when, you know, I talk about The Guardian, I don't talk about The Guardian by title uh, on air, I call it The Turnbull Times because, remember, <laughs> without him it didn't exist. Yes. And his worldview is that worldview. His, But he has no concept of the suburbs. He has no concept of... Um, the quiet Australian, the average Australian, the normal Australian, the sane Australian, you know. Um, So he'll pitch to the Q&A crowd, he'll pitch to Twitter, he'll pitch to um, the the Turnbull Times people, but there's going to be a – they'll pick a seat and there's going to be a shed load of money that's going to turn up the noise on the local MP until eventually the community says, all right, if the noise goes away, I'll give you what you want. And that's the thing about the modern left is – You know, they have perfected the art of the toddler tantrum that they just, like, I've got a two-year-old and a six-year-old, okay? So I'm very aware of how this political tactic works, Mm. which is you keep (laughs) making noise until you get what you want. Your role as the parent, the adult, or the free Australian is to say, go to your room.
0: Yeah, I'd love to say that it's a left thing, but, like, let's let's face it, no one does it better than Donald Trump. Like, no one throws a toddler tantrum oh, better abs- than that
2: man. And you know what? It's like, it's a funny thing, I obviously thinking a lot about Trump uh, in the post-presidency idea, right, which is, you know, most of us who supported him, uh, the idea of him is what was worth defending at, all fronts what he represented uh I, I love the idea that you know the movie industry the restaurant industry the hotel every other industry was allowed to be disrupted but politics wasn't allowed to be disrupted um so absolutely imperfect vessel but he's the only guy who's been able to to to, to break the control the modes all of that stuff so um you know i was surprised how quickly I was able to move through the five stages of grief about the Trump presidency. (laughs) Um, But I think it really helped that he didn't get washed away on election day, that we basically went from Tuesday to Sunday. It was so the left never got what it really wanted, which was the absolute flush, get the domestos, get rid of the stain. Uh, Instead, they kind of, it was this slow eek. So then by the time Biden was declared the winner, I was able to work through the emotions and probably didn't throw my own toddler tantrum as I would have uh, if he was, you know, forty state loss in the first two hours of election night.
0: Yeah, I'm a bit worried that uh, the, the Georgia Senate race is going to throw me straight back into denial, but we'll see.
2: Well, you know, I I think that they're only going. I think their best chance is to win one of the two seats, that being the Republicans. Um, and I think that while Trump has absolutely sent energy and said all the right things about – because somebody has obviously correctly been able to say to him, hey, there's only one way you save your legacy, mate, uh, and that is to hold the Senate because it's a handbrake on Biden. Um, I think that the mail-in voting system means turnout is literally will come to you as opposed to you have to come to the polls. And I think that, you know, even when uh, Rana McDaniel, the boss of the, the RNC, was in Georgia, she's confronting voters who were saying, what's the point in turning up? Um Either because it's rigged or because you guys haven't fought hard enough for him. So, you know, I, I, I can very much see them winning at least one of those seats.
0: Well, oh, fingers crossed. I wanna switch things to uh your show. Paul Murray Live. So this year what I've really loved is seeing like uh, this return to your talkback radio roots of just Better Call Paul. I love getting, you know, the Australian punters involved. Uh, What did that decision, like where did that decision come from? Like I want to have people call into a TV show, which I don't think a whole lot of other TV shows are doing unless you want to count like the Q&A look what people tweeted, which I don't think we do. No. Uh, So like (laughs) what was the decision behind that and then what did you find it was changing about
2: your show? Well, I, you know, I'd been at them for – couple of years about it but basically apparently there was all these technological i mean you know, look with the greatest respect to every engineering department at every you know media outlet anywhere yep. apparently if you want to do anything slightly different it's going to cost 30 grand i don't understand why that number is the number but apparently if you want to change the winds so, oh no nah, james sorry it's 30 grand you know Well, we need a new player of 30 grand. Yeah, I can actually see our videographer nodding at that side. (laughs) For some reason, this is the magic number of resistance, okay? They've worked out that $30,000 is apparently a disincentive to to do much. So um, we found a workaround that uh, wasn't 30 grand, and uh, I just liked the idea of – not curating what the response was. Because when you read emails, it's self-evident that you've chosen the email to take. Um, When you publish tweets, you've chosen the tweet to show. Um, I'll take the callers in the order in which they call. Uh, That's it. There's no expectation. There's no setup. Um, You know, obviously, if you're pissed, you're probably not going to get on. Um, And if you go a little bit too nutty, you know, the mute button will kick in. But... I just, you know, it is a bit of a wank but it's, it's, it's a true one, which is I want to strive to be the most honest show on telly and by that I mean my most honest emotions in reaction to whatever the day is, my most honest hot take and also part of that is to go I want the audience in real time to give us the feedback that a poll might show us in two weeks' time. Uh, and some nights have been better than others. Some nights, you know, lockdowns. It felt like I had the same phone call for about three months. <laughs> um, that was every part of lockdown. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like everything was the same for three months. Yeah. yeah. And, and so uh, that was th- that was good. But from a just a en- basic entertainment perspective, that can be a little bit yawny. Um, you know, they fired up about Trump, but I also like when you know I just love the idea. Of somebody sitting at home in their undies who goes, you know what? I really want to fire up about that pothole, or I really want to fire up about the you know the way the world is organised, and the whole spectrum of that is um, is fun, and I love, as you say, you know, I'm sort of a, a, a you know rather obvious by my physical appearance, a radio guy, um, so you know I enjoy the intimacy of it, the person, the the the, the personal nature of the communication, and I love the idea that the relationship with the viewer is as personal as possible um because there is a style that 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 can develop after a while when you've got a talk show, which is um here's my opinion uh now do with the tablets what you wish <laughs> um I don't like that style
1: paul um one of the other things Sky has been doing recently is expanding its online presence. And at the ABC in particular, it used to sneer at Sky for their ratings, but now they've uh, you know significantly improved. Uh, will all television companies be
2: online in future? And um, what what has sparked this move? Yeah, uh, you uh, you have to be there. You just have to be there. Um, the nature of how we're distributed means that. We're limited to the number of subscribers that are there on Foxtel. That expanded when we're on free-to-air in regional Australia with Sky News on WIN. We saw, um, I think, uh, a real role that we played in the 2019 election was being able to speak to regional Queensland and reflect what what they were thinking. And just, you know, I've got to engage with it for 30 seconds because we need to feed Twitter something uh, out of this conversation. Um, It is always hilarious to me that the audience is so insignificant it doesn't matter, but apparently you so powerful it can change a prime minister. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> they also say that, uh, you know, the size of audience uh, is directly related to whether you should pay attention to it or not, yet Radio National is the lowest rating talk offering on the Australian radio dial, yet apparently it is the must-consume program. So pick a lane, kids, because if the rule is... Um, raw numbers equals ability to involve yourself in political conversation, then uh, from now on, the only place the Prime Minister can be interviewed is on Lego Masters.
0: I would say that. I would watch that. No, yeah, we about- get that at the IPA. It's like we're either like this fringe think tank when they don't like us or, you know, the puppet masters of Australian oh, politics. So I was like, you can have one of those things, but, like, you can't have both in the same article. But sure.
2: also, have have we not learnt, uh, have they not exposed themselves? The, the, one of the joys of 2020 is that the... the the mask has slipped on the left a lot, right? Um, And the modern left is all about projection. So often whatever it is they're shit canning you for is what they are doing or what they are planning to do. So, you know, the online stuff is so vitally important because there's a lot of people who increasingly... Uh, don't want to interact with your traditional six pm bulletin. They don't want to interact with your daily paper. Um, on the bad side of things, that does mean that you can self-select and silo and build an information, you know, network around you that is nothing but, uh, um, you know, uh, affirming your views. But the joys of having a strong online presence, having a lot of YouTube, having a you know, pretty good Facebook thing, is. It it serves as a form of marketing to be able to go, geez, this guy's all right. How do I get more of this guy? And to a certain percentage of people, they eventually turn around and go, oh, well, it's worth paying to to – to watch it, and there's more on that next year.
0: Yeah, sweet. Uh, I know, Dad. Like, uh, if he ever gets an editorial with one million views because it hit the US market, he will be very often about for family dinner on Sunday <laughs> well, night.
2: But this is it. It's it's like it's like, uh, it's like uh, our, our dear wonderful friend and uh, and dear leader here, uh, Janet Albrechtson, where she will uh, often send me a text when I've posted one of her articles on the Facebook page because her son will go, "Oh, Paul posted your article." It's going. <laughs> The article was good enough whether I <laughs> yaded yeah, it or not. But it is funny that that I suppose also uh, you know, all of us love the instant feedback nature of the internet where you can turn around and say, this has had X many thousand views. So there's a tangible concept that this has connected to someone. Um, the For those that wish to detract is they turn around and go, well, only a thousand people saw that interview, so therefore it doesn't matter. But yeah, it's, it's absolutely future as well as I'd love to do way more podcasting. Um, you know, I, I, I'm all in, like, I don't, like as a bloke who worked in radio and loves radio, I don't listen to it anymore. Mm. Uh, my diet is, is podcast, podcast, podcast.
1: Interesting stuff. Yeah. No, it's, um, it is an interesting thing. I mean, I don't know with the radio thing, I don't listen to it anymore as well. You know, you just sort of Listen to the podcast whenever you want. Now, we sort of touched on a little bit there talking about 2020. Uh, what's going to happen in the future? What's going to be the biggest issue of 2021? If we could get you, uh, get your
2: crystal ball out there, Paul. Well, the lot of numbers will be 17, 25. Yeah, yeah, on, yeah, yeah. if everyone... You know, off. <laughs> <laughs> I always love that question because um, uh, obviously we're all trying to take our pun on where it'll be. Yeah. Um, what's going to be fascinating to watch is when vaccines are popularised and essentially the corona threat disappears, uh, it's going to be a little bit like when the tide goes out. We're actually going to be able to see what was destroyed by COVID. Um, You know, my experience in like two days of walking around Melbourne is you can just see the scars and you can see the trauma and it exists in the for lease signs or it exists because there's only, what, 25% of office workers back in the thing that no one's walking in Melbourne with a sense of purpose, right? There's – because normally a big city rushing from thing to thing, there's no thing to thing right now. Um, I think we're going to see the ravages on small business. That means bigger business just gets bigger. You're going to see, you know, your local hardware store, you know, can't hold on anymore and is eventually replaced by the giant Bunnings down the road, that's going to be really traumatic. Um, politically speaking, I think that uh, there'll be an active question about whether there's an election at the back end of next year. It can happen, I think, from August. Uh, if they want to do it, you would assume that if the government's strong enough, they they, they jump on that as soon as possible. I'm going to enjoy watching the Labor Party uh, try to deal with uh, – the Karen Rudd rules of um, you can't change the leader uh, unless sixty percent of the room wants to change the leader. And one of the indices about Australian politics that I really hope people understand now is uh, primaries interesting to look at, two party preferreds interesting to look at. But as Queensland showed, um, look at the margin of preferred premier or preferred prime minister because that's probably going to be an indication about how decisive a win is going to be. And currently, Morrison's leading two to one on that margin, and and even in the essential poll, the lefty-leaning poll in the Turnbull Times, um, always on message, people, is um, he doesn't even have the support of 50% of Labor people for preferred prime minister. So it's going to be fun to watch them pull themselves apart. Uh, What will be depressing about 2021 is watching uh, Joe Biden get all of the credit for the recovery of the United States. And if uh, the Republicans can hold the Senate, then basically he's going to have Trump's economy with a vaccine, which means it all roars back to life. And his uh, his bio is, you know, the healer in chief, the yep. guy who uh, brought back 30 million jobs and made us feel safe again. And uh, it's going to be like uh, when they gave Obama the Peace Prize. They he he's, he, he will be lauded as a hero for not being what he replaced.
0: We had this on the show, like if Obama got the Nobel Peace Prize for not being George Bush, can you imagine how many different awards Joe Biden is going to get? Like he'll get the Nobel Prize for mathematics, he will get like, uh, you know, the People's Choice Awards in the UK for best
2: child actor, like he will get everything he wants. (laughs) Well, But but what's going to be fun though is – he's if he shows up to collect these awards is going to be watching him try to traverse those stairs you know for his honorary oscar because <laughs> i think we all know the most fascinating part of the biden presidency is going to be so when's he going to fall over <laughs> yeah. like like we knew you know george hw bush spewed when he was in japan we know bob dole fell off uh fell off the stage in 96 mm. we know even howard did as well it's going to be stumble watch. Yep. That's you know what we previously when you jumped on and had a look at the outrage factor about you know what are the orange man bad. We will be doom scrolling or hope scrolling for when did Biden fall over?
0: That will be uh, all right. So I want one last prediction from you because uh, you your mate one way elbow as you say not the most popular guy in the world. The person taking Labour into the next election is
2: it should be Tanya Plibersek it's Tanya Yeah, it should be Tanya Plibersek, but I think it's it's going to be Albo or Plibersek, that's what I Curve think. Kerpov
0: Shorten because I know Gideon Rosner's big on that one.
2: I don't – look, I think that the play might be that uh, incumbency as it was for basically every government post-9-11 in whatever the immediate election was after, incumbency post-COVID is – clearly going to get you there. So I would imagine Shorten's play uh, is going to be burn as many leaders as possible um, in the expectation that they lose so that at one point in time either no one's left or enough distance has travelled that uh, a year out from the 2026 he becomes the option. But, you know, I think he's a spent force but uh, he's clearly, I mean, (laughs) the number of times that there's outreach from Shorten to appear on Sky News is – a little obvious.
0: Oh, outreach from Shorten, you said. Oh, yeah. oh there we go. Yeah. That's a big that, – yeah. that could be get uh, Twitter sphere going. All right. Uh, Paul Murray, uh, host of Paul Murray Live, thank you so much for your time. That was awesome, and uh, we've definitely used up way more time than we said we would, so we'll let you go.
2: I apologise to the audience for taking up your time. I can sit and talk to you guys all day, but can we just agree, the fact I can't smoke in the IPA office <laughs> means there is limits on freedom even In the heart of freedom. Yeah, no comment. (laughs) (laughs) See you, boys. All right, really.
0: Okay, thank you to Paul Murray. That was just awesome. What a guy. Thanks so much for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Now, Pete, uh, big news for you coming out of the US today. We solved racism. You happy? Oh, mate, I'm over the moon. Racism is solved. Uh, There is uh, no more racism in the world. Uh, why, you may ask, Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream. Uh, stay with me. Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream has teamed up with Colin Kaepernick to introduce the new flavor Change the World, world spelled uh, W-H-I-R-L-E-D, like as in, like, you know, chocolate world. Uh, non-dairy. Non-dairy. As if, mm. <laughs> like, you know, you could have... I could have seen that coming. Uh, the flavor of supporting the fight to dismantle systems of oppression and empower black and brown people coming to freezes in 2021. Pete, what do you reckon the... Um, what do you reckon dismantling systems of oppression tastes like? Well, peach. I don't a peach know. Peach flavour, more of a more of a banana.
1: But, so I don't know. I think I think it would be fairly um, tasteless. And my knock on this thing, well, one of my many knocks on this thing is that it's like the non-dairy flavour, which is obviously a bit of a crap flavour, which I think is racist. They're giving, they're making you know the flavour to tackle racial oppression as a, quite a crap flavour. That's yeah, True be. equity
0: is all of these flavours in dairy. That's true equity.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly mm. right. Non-dairy, don't want it. That's that's just going to be rubbish. Um, but the thing I like about this the most, James, is just so brazen the commercialisation of a social cause. Like we can make money out of that. We can yeah, make money out of shake them down this. for a few more coins. Yeah, that's exactly
0: fair. And I've got of course, a lot of mileage world. this. I've got a lot of miles this week out of imagining some white person buying this ice cream and then just patrolling the streets trying to find a black person so they could go, huh, huh, see this? Yeah. I'm on your side. Yeah. I'm a good person uh but world change the
1: world and world for those obviously listening world is spelled w h i r l did that one did you
0: yeah i spelled it out
1: good stuff you're yeah. a professional james it's, it's yeah well i'd like to i'd like to reiterate james's james <laughs> call about that yeah <laughs> uh but no nah, just uh unbelievable stuff here what was your view james
0: uh I already did my jokes. Uh, All right, let us move on (laughs) to another story. Pete's lost it. Uh, Pete is sick. He's battling an illness and uh, we're all going to be nice to Pete today. So, another one I got for you. Uh, So, another example of racism being solved. Time Person of the Year came out. You thought so many people this year that have stood up and it went to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris for uh, not being Donald Trump, I guess. That is
1: like... Sorry, I'm just trying to find this one as well. Here we go. So, like this guy literally sat in his basement all year and he's still the person of the year. I did do a bit of research into this, James, and I worked out that the time person of the year doesn't always, isn't always the person that's done the... the they, don't, they say it's not the best person of the year. It's the person that's had the most influence, which, uh, which is still a long, you know, a long bow for these two, particularly because they got elected because they weren't Donald Trump. So, mm. doesn't that mean that Donald Trump should be person of the year? Which he has been, by the way. But
0: Oh, that's that, that controversial. Hmm. Uh, no, sorry. All right. So you're saying it's the most impactful person of the year that gets the Time Award? Yeah. It's been uh, like Hitler, uh, Stalin twice. Yeah. Stalin I'm, got it twice? I'm just trying to remember the footage I saw of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris personally treating hundreds of thousands of coronavirus patients. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> just yeah. Just trying exactly. to remember that
0: one. Uh, I, I definitely didn't see them in the room when the Pfizer vaccine was finalized. Yeah. Uh, I I just can't think of the footage. Sorry. I probably I'd, I'd, didn't want to m- take credit. M- maybe yeah, maybe they just were trying to avoid the cameras and be team players, but then accept the Time Person of the Year award. So, uh, all right, good on them. Another one I got here, unless uh, you've got one, Pete.
1: Well, I just was going to ask, can it be, an, can it be a germ? Can a germ be Person of the Year? Because like, clearly the most influential thing that's happened this year is COVID. Oh, right. What I thought that? that
0: was you asking if you could be Person of the Year. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That's too easy. What that a, didn't feel good. That? that didn't feel good. It was too easy. It was cheap. Uh, all right. I don't mind uh, last one, I've got from here is uh article from the new york times this week and yeah. it's called here's the tweet i'm just going to read the tweet the article itself was not that great but here's the tweet an increasing number of men are taking up sewing not only to break traditional gender stereotypes but also advocate for body acceptance racial justice and more sustainable lifestyles now pete my question is can people just enjoy something i agree you can't just make
1: stuff up because you want it to be true. Like, if there yeah. are, if this is in fact true and more people, more blokes are sewing, then fantastic stuff, good for you guys. But you can't just say, oh, well, that's because, and then just invent your three favorite things and say that's because they're doing that. Like, maybe they just like sewing.
0: Yeah, like reading the article, the interviews with the people, there was one that was politically motivated and the others were just, you know what, this is fun and it's a good way to make money. And this idea that like uh, sewing has always been a woman's thing, like, uh, you know, textile factories, like for hundreds of years were only done by men. So I don't really get where that's coming from. But yeah, just overall, not everyone's a foot soldier in the revolution. Like some people that's just wrong. enjoy sewing and they just, like, that's all they want to do is just sew and credit to them, go, go sew for your lives.
1: Yeah, which I personally, that is, you know, I find that very difficult to believe because we had to do sewing at school and it was crap. So I don't get how anyone could enjoy it, but maybe they do.
0: Controversial opinion. (laughs) There we go. Uh, All right. And, oh, no, one more. One more I want to talk about. Sorry. There was this bizarre controversy in the US this week. The Wall Street Journal ran this article by uh, this guy named Joseph Epstein, who... Basically, just wrote that uh, Joe Biden's wife, Jill, should no longer go by Dr. Jill Biden. She has a PhD. And just on the reason that... Uh, wait, I'll use the quote. A wise man once said that no, no one should call himself doctor unless he has delivered a child. Think about it, Dr. Jill, and forthwith, drop the doc. Now, I want to bring this up because uh, longtime listeners of the show are aware that Peter... Yeah, the, the, the Dr. Peter Gregory is imminent. At the mm. moment, it's Mr. Imminently will be Dr. Peter Gregory... Surely you would have some opinions as a man that's worked so tirelessly to get that doctorate, whether or not he should be able to use it.
1: I'd say tirelessly in patches is probably a bit more accurate, but yeah, I'm personally triggered by this. I mean, this this guy, Dr. Joseph Epstein or Epstein, is not a he hasn't got a doctor ahead of his name, and he's been talking. You know, he said it's too easy to get it's too easy to get PhDs this year. His two sort of criticisms were firstly, famous people get them because they want them to give the university money, which is probably fair enough. But secondly, it was they're too easy to get. It's like, come on, mate. I've been slaving away for years on this thing. If Doctor Jill wants to call in herself Doctor Jill, in patches, and it's, oh, so just for listeners, it is actually handed in at the moment. Like they are pouring over it as we speak. So huge. Um, that you know, is yeah, actually huge. Good news. Uh, Doctor <laughs> Doctor Jill wants to call herself Doctor Jill.
0: She can, and um, you get you just leave her alone, mate. I don't, like. That article got 4,000 comments on the Wall Street Journal, and it's just been tweeted at relentlessly, and it's just every person that's ever had a PhD or thought about getting one has just absolutely come out of the woodwork and just demanded they be taken seriously. And like, okay, this one might not convey, but when I read the Joseph Epstein article in the Wall Street Journal... It like literally, it was the first paragraph was about Jill Biden, and the next four about his academic career and why he doesn't use a doctor. And I'm like, are we writing about Jill Biden, or is this say, uh, look at me, I'm Joseph Epstein? <laughs> like, I, I just, there's a lot of people taking themselves extremely seriously about this story for something that is a joke.
1: It was very much like he's obviously got his thing, and he's look he's written the article, then he's looked around for a hook, and some, someone's pointed out, oh, do you know that uh, Jill Biden's a doctor? Yeah, um, it was, it is like. This is such a 2020 issue. Like, is this it? This is the next Mm. thing in the culture war. Can you say you're a doctor or not? Um, And obviously, you know, like, because Jill Biden is a female, it was straight away became about sexism, um, which was, which was like, how good's 2020 as well? Um,
0: But yeah, no, I'm, I stand with Jill. You get off her back, mate. (laughs) Uh, so you might have to beep this one out, but this w- actually the story wouldn't make a lot more sense for me. Uh, Pete, you, you're closer to this than I am. You know what PhDs are about. Uh, does yeah. P- I actually don't know what PhD stands for. Does it stand for pretentious, hateful <laughs> Oh, that is—we're getting a
1: little bit fast and loose towards the end of the year. Uh, No, it doesn't stand for that. I actually sort of forgotten what it stands (laughs) for—philosophy, doctor, or something.
0: Maybe that just uh, fell out of your head as you were uh, working on it so tirelessly. All right, that is it for the show this week. Thanks again to Doctor of Philosophy. There we go. Thank. Oh philosophy yeah I got it thank you too Paul Murray really great interview Uh, if you like the show thanks for listening if you're listening through Apple Podcasts leave us a review Uh, it helps people connect with the show and if you do have friends and family that do care about politics and aren't listening to the show already make sure you're telling them about us and we'll see you guys for our last show of the year next week see you guys